Welcome to ACM's Vault of Coal. My name's Andy. On this episode, we focus on 1984's sci-fi cult classic, The Last Starfighter. This is a film that is kind of forgotten in America. It's had a recent Arrow Blu-ray special edition release. Um, I, I'm focused on this because, to me, this was one of my favourite films growing up. Um, it has got a bit of a cult following already, but I think it deserves more. I showed it to my mate Dave, Dave Kennedy, someone I, I grew up with um, in a small town in Suffolk, and uh, we both live miles apart now, but because of technology, and we're able to talk about this film over Zoom. He'd never seen it. He's only a couple of years older than me. I'm quite surprised it passed him by, but then when I think about it, it passed a lot of people by. So... Um, he watched it he got it um streamed it on i think amazon prime it's got no current um hard copy edition available in this country hopefully that will change soon um but at least you are able to watch it if if you listen to this and want to but i'm hoping actually a lot of people have already watched it and um will just enjoy that other people enjoyed this movie now this is a conversation i had with dave Okay, thanks to Dave for joining us. Um, how are you? I'm good, my friend. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. One of them days that we got there. I've, I've just rewatched the film, uh, The Last Starfire. Uh, just a f thanks for joining us. This is the, the first one you've done with us. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've known you probably longer than anybody else I've done these podcasts with. I well, we've known each other since what? Since you started primary school, you were in my sister's year, so that would be what. 36 years 37 oh, years i'm 40 now so, yeah probably about 36 years then i reckon 36 years. so um probably we might have even met the year this film was released which was 1984 um when probably we a little bit after let's see I, but 84 was the year i think i started primary school so it would have been maybe a year or two after i think okay so we'll say we're, we're around the time this came out on video right because it's that old, it had a video release, not the rare <laughs> streaming. Um, but just before we, we get going on, the last Starfighter, um, just just let know. I know you're really into film. Um, can you say name three of your favourite films? So we get some gist of what you like. I do find it hard to narrow down specific films because I love so many films for so many reasons. I think yeah. if I'd say a film, I'd probably watch the most. It's Aliens. I was a bit of a I think nutcase is the only super way to describe it as a job. I'd actually get up. Uh, about four in the morning before school so I could sit and watch my Aliens Extended Edition VHS before I went to high school. Um, <laughs> most mornings, or a few other films as well, but mostly it was Aliens. Uh, so I love a bit of sci-fi. Um, the Third Man's one of my favourite films. If I had to name one other one. Oh, Christ on a stick. Um, in Bruges, possibly. That's all oh, the Burbs, maybe. Good comfort okay. films. Yeah. Oh, the, the Burbs would be a great one to do this, for this podcast, actually. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, just, just quickly, any films that you loved as a kid that maybe you haven't watched lately and you think, oh, would I still like it now? Well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I got a lot of um, Flight of a Navigator vibes when I watched The Last Starfighter. You can see it was that sort of ah, yeah, yeah. era of sci-fi adventure, middle America, suburbia sort of films, you know. That was, a, that was um, something I, I used to have on VHS, which I wore out. Um, I'm trying to think of ones I'm not, I'm not that 
fussed about anymore. There aren't too many. Obviously, as you said about before we go on about the Ernest films, they do some films don't age very well. Like I know I love Police Academy when I was a kid. You know, I thought it was the yeah. funniest thing in the world. But now I watch it and I just think, oh, there's some bits in there that don't really <laughs> stand yeah. up too well. The sort of subtle insinuation that if two straight men accidentally walked into a gay bar, they'd end up obstructed <laughs> yeah. from leaving and then um, still love you tomorrow, etc., etc. <laughs> we mentioned the Ernest films because one of the last podcasts I've done was Ernest Goes to Camp. And that, that one I do think stands out really well. But since doing that, I've watched some of the others. And um, there's nothing offensive in them. It's just that kind of broad slapstick, I don't think, sort of works yeah. as well nowadays. Um, but when, we've, we've, I was pleasantly... Oh, sorry. So I was going to say, with the Police Academy films, those are strange ones, because bits of it I do find really funny. I find the characters likeable, but the, the, the bit you just mentioned there, it's like, it's so dated, you know? Um, mm. And um, But still, um, there's jokes like that in, I, I hate to mention it, but in, say, the Nan movie and things like that while still being made. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> humor is yeah, a strange I'll, one i haven't i haven't um yeah i've no intention of going to see the nan movie i have to say yeah i was I, a huge fan of Catherine tate's comedy show in any case but yeah yeah um that's yes well we'll dive into this because um, i mentioned comedy i mean if you look at the director nick castle uh, after this film he did as well he'd done the the boy who could fly which is quite big but he, he went on to do a lot of comedy like dennis the menace movie and major pain and things like that um, Can I just say I, I was so when I w- watched this film, I I, I I I was so surprised with the title because I didn't even know he directed. I I just know him as Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, for those who don't know, I mean, the, the film is directed by Nick Castle, who was the original Michael Myers in in the first film when he was just called the Shape, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, the main character is the um, paramedic from Halloween Two, and uh, his friend is the bad guy from Halloween Three. So it's a nice tree heart triple yeah. Halloween link there. <laughs> there is, yeah. And um, it's obviously, um, I think, Nick Castle getting people he knows together. Um, yeah. If you look at the the guy who done the music, um, whose name escapes me, but he'd he done um, some of the Halloween stuff and, and his later films. And um, this being the director's only second film, I think it's kind of, he's got people together who he trusts. Um, so I think he would have met them on, on set and that. That's just a guess, because I, I think that he was more involved with Halloween than just literally the man in the suit. So I know he wasn't... No, I think... Yeah, sorry. That? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the film, you can tell, not just, it's not just the age of the film, but the style of it. There's that kind of filter, even though it's a totally different film, totally different plot, totally different sort of setting, totally different style. There's a, sorry, totally different sort of atmosphere. It's got a very similar style to that era of sort of i'd say in semi-independent maybe low budget film you know it's really yeah. good yeah one of the um early reviews of it um said it was one of the best b movies he'd ever seen uh, i wouldn't class it as a b movie but it has that feel it's, it's higher budget yeah that, but it's got that you know um well often when you think of sci-fi and stuff you do think b movies and it wasn't until oh, the yeah. likes of, like you mentioned earlier, bigger budget ones like Alien and Aliens, where the, that, yeah. this genre got got pushed more, well, more, more, more accepted really, more accepted as more highbrow film. Um, yeah. Whereas I can totally see that the the because it, it's a bit like a feel of a fifties B movie, um, yes. with 
the sort of small town there. But we'll just quickly go over the, very quickly over the plot. I mean, I'm not going to say we can't do spoilers because it's a very old film. Um, but it, the gist of it is basically a, a teenage kind of dreamer who um, is stuck in a trailer park. Um, with his, lives with his mum and seems to be doing all the work at the trailer park. He wants to escape. Um, anything he seems to enjoy is playing an arcade game, which turns out to be kind of a test. Uh, he passes the, he completes the the game and is later taken into space to become a real starfighter, which um, doesn't sound like that much of an original plot, but probably back then it was. Oh, great. totally. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like it at the time, as far as I can recall. I mean, obviously there are some influence there, I think from Tron maybe. Oh yeah. But, yeah. Um, but the idea, I mean, it was kind of nice in a way. It was just this idea of escapism, wasn't it? It was this yeah. idea that you're just, that sitting around playing a video game isn't necessarily wasting your life. He, it actually pays him back in some way. And it's like, oh, your skills are recognized. We shall put you to use. Yeah. yeah. And then it's interesting thing, one thing I like about the film is it's kind of, when I first watched it, it seemed really different to all the other sci-fi films I saw. I first watched it, I can remember being very young, my next door neighbour had it on VHS cassette. It was back when, you know, very few, well, films were expensive. So you watch things on TV and then maybe for Christmas you'd get one film. And this was like my neighbour's one film and I'd always want to watch it with him and he'd always bring it around. So I watched it a lot. Um, and it felt like a really big film to me. Um, but what I, what I like about it is it seemed different, but watching it now, there's so many elements from other big franchises. Um, there's a lot of Star Wars in there. Even when you think yeah. about it, it's almost like when you see in the trailer park at the beginning, it's much like when you see Luke for the first time in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, One of the things Luke, I picked up on was it's got that same kind of character journey, hasn't it? You've got yeah. this the Luke character, which is him. You've got then the, the mentor character, which is Centauri, who yeah. then dies and then, yeah. and then he has he has refusal of the call and he steps up and all that all that stuff george lucas talked about ad nauseum you know it's all it's all in there it's all yeah in there definitely and um visually i mean especially the, the sort of villains in it remind me very much of the um, 1980 flash gordon um a lot of it yeah like that same here i thought the same thing yeah yeah i um, mean and even some star trek in there with, with some of it um but the, the title the Kling, sequence... It almost looked like the inside of a Klingon vessel, the enemy one, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the, the title sequence is is Star Wars, basically. Um, not Star Wars, sorry. Star Wars Super, and Superman. Superman together. is what I meant. So, yeah, yeah. Superman, which reminded me... Recently, I rewatched Master of the Universe, which is exactly the same. The same sort of intro. The music sounds like it. And, yeah, more, more Superman than Star Wars. But, basically, it sounds like John Williams, even though it isn't. And the, the way the credits move... Yeah, um, but I love yeah. the music in it. It's really, it's got that orchestral sound, and it, that to me well, sounds timeless, but it's also very eighties. Yeah, it reminded me actually when I first put it in and I first watched the music. Obviously, it goes into a very, I'd say, sort of three quarters John Williams, one quarter Jerry Goldsmith style musical score. Yeah, and then, but, but the actual opening, the first minute or so, it actually reminded me of Life Force. It was that kind of. Yeah. Life Force. Now, there's a film. Um, I watched that quite recently. That's the for anyone listening doesn't know. That's, that's the Toby Hooper sci-fi, isn't it? Which um, yeah, I did. I, it's not one I I love, but it, that's one of those I think could be an amazing film. It was such a. An undertaking, I think, wasn't it? It was this yeah. epic film which starts off as a sort of subtle alien style sci-fi film and goes into like a 
sort of hunt for a serial killer and ends up being a bloody zombie movie. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's bonkers, but it's, I, I love it. I think it's yeah. brilliant. I, I, I love canon films of the mid eighties anyway, and that was one of the good ones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's one where they really experimented with trying to spend a lot of money on films, and unfortunately, it didn't pay off for them. But uh, it, it was all, one of their higher budget ones. But that, that's one where, um, a bit like this film, I think that it's sort of more fondly remembered now it's sort of over time people have appreciated it and mm. um with this film i mean looking at the it, it got quite good reviews it done okay at the box office but then it was kind of forgotten and more recently with the anniversaries and comic cons and stuff um people seem to i think a lot of people watched it like me as a kid over and over on video um it was about four years ago i went to a comic con and um nick castle and um the two main stars lance guest and uh, Catherine mary stewart were there and i thought I, it, was, it was really nice, but I also thought it was kind of strange that a film that isn't commercially available in this country in any sort of um, hard format, and there's still the... the yeah. for, um, because you rented this on Amazon, didn't you, to, to watch it? Yes, I did, yeah. And I, my knowledge of film in my life never really paid it much of a mind. I certainly didn't know the plot. I think I'd probably seen the uh, VHS case back in the day of, in video stores. But I never really knew what it was, just knew it existed. Yeah. And the act, you know, as you say, I didn't, as I say, you know, I didn't know Nick Castle was a director, let alone that he directed this. Mary Catherine Stewart, is it? I only yeah, really know from yeah. Night of the Comet. Yeah. That's the only other film of hers I've seen, which I also love. And um, obviously, Lance Guest, funnily enough, I first knew him from Jaws of Revenge. Yeah. One of my first VHSs, I think. Somebody yeah. wanted, I said I wanted Jaws for Christmas, and I think somebody bought me Jaws for Revenge. And I thought, oh, I love Jaws. Sit with this one. But he's but, actually brilliant, and I love pretty much anything he's in. He's in um, my favorite werewolf film, Late Phases. He's a great actor. Yeah. I, I kind of feel sorry for him because he, I mean, he carries this film really well, you know, considering this and some great character actors around him and he's really young at the time and just so likable but the, yeah. the, this and halloween 2 which i'll probably say is my least favorite halloween film and jaws 4 which is is up there with the what if the people have to name one of the worst films of all time it's always there um mm. i don't think it's quite that bad um but it, it's certainly not very good um as a schlocky sort of monster movie it's sort of average and passable but i think because it tries to cash in on the name of easily Steven Spielberg's greatest film, you yeah. know, and one of the best films of all time. It's kind of, yeah, don't take the fucking piss, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, but saying about Jaws, I mean, the beginning, beginning of this film as well reminds me a lot of Spielberg, especially sort of Poltergeist, that sort of yeah. vibe. I, I was watching, because um, uh, I, after I watched the film for the first time, I, I watched a few of it because I love film retrospectives on YouTube. And there's some really good ones out there. And I watched one, I think it was by Oliver Harper, and he was saying the original setting for it was a sort of out-of-town, suburban LA area. But I think Nick Castle made the deliberate choice to change it to a trailer park to kind of pull away from Poltergeist and E.T. and all that stuff, you yeah. know. So, yeah, and it, and it worked. It, it, it fed into the story because the trailer park is actually almost a character in itself you know it's where these people have this very small community which you wouldn't have even if it was set in a cul-de-sac or something yeah. which i think works really well with the characters yeah i just i just, just love the way that op the opening sort of sequence is shot and um, just little things like you see the dog asleep and a cat come out of the the mailbox and it's is very yeah. 
it's very very 80s um but without obviously looking that in a strange way and then you've got the sort of quirky like older characters like the the lady listening to a, to a um the walkman listening to some then really yes. modern music um <laughs> it's just it's got that feel good factor which is something i think is lost since yeah. 80s and possibly early 90s i think they try now but there's it kind of feels more sincere back then even though it probably wasn't because it was just a dumb thing well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, first of all, I mean, one of my favourite bits was just the bit where he's looking up at that mobile on the ceiling and he just hears and he mouths the conversations of his neighbours outside because he's yeah. heard that conversation a hundred times, reinforcing how he wants to escape, even though he's quite close to his community. But as in terms of how sincere it is, I don't know. I, I found myself thinking as I was watching it the first time, you know, has this, you know, is this a really good, feels good story or is it a cynical sort of, oh, the kids are into video games, let's stick that out there and see what happens but I think I'd probably tend towards the former to be honest I think it has got a lot of heart it's yeah. uh, just a nice story about as I say escapism about you know breaking away from routine tradition you know the bit where Catherine Mary Stewart says goodbye to her gran at the end you know it's, it's, it's quite nice stuff you know I don't think ever and it's not too sentimental either it's just nice no, it, it's got a good part to it you know yeah it's, it's not yeah it, it's not sort of cheesy sentimental it does yeah and that, that does seem very of that era but the, i'm comparing it to and people will you know the bigger more well-known films from that era um one thing i just, just watching quickly a bit of one of the making ofs and they w tried really hard to get it away from et as possible because uh, that was you know bt came out what, two years before this three years and um, yeah. was yeah. just so big, they didn't want to be seen as cashing in on that. And I know for a fact that you know, you had a film, John Carpenter film, Starman. Um, oh, I love that film, yeah. 78, I, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a good yeah. film. Well, that was um, that was pushed back. They had the script ready, so that was pushed back because of ET. So they um, I think that was in the end, it was came out in about 1985. Like the um, really? I think so. I'll have I'll have a check. I thought Starman was earlier than that. I, I, think oh, I didn't realise. Okay. It was definitely after ET because both both scripts were around at the same time. And then they wouldn't oh, make okay. it because of that coming out. I will double check that because I know. No, you're probably right. No, no, uh, it's very easy to get films around that era mixed up. So yeah. no, but Starman, it's what it's a great film. It's one of those you know one of the best films you never realise John Carpenter directed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um 1984. That, that came, so that came out the same year as this. Um. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, it's a really good sort of era for almost family sci-fi films when you look at it. And I, I do think this one kind of overlooked. Um, I think we, we mentioned that how it looks like other films. A lot of the ships and stuff look like um, even Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers, that sort of thing, which is a few years. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I think that the effects and makeup are really good, but it's really early CGI. So to me, a lot Very of it... Looked, early. Yeah, you know... Yeah. Um, some of it just looks like, you know, when you watch a documentary now and you have the, the CGI before it's finished, a lot of yeah. the stuff in space looks like that, um, which now I think does look really dated. Um, but you have to, you've got to think, you know, this film's 28 years old oh, now. God, I wouldn't like to think what years those old. effects cost to produce at the time because they must have used the most hardcore computers yeah well to produce those because there was nothing else like it was there no. you sort of see it leading into the this effects that became things like babylon 5 and star trek next generation and things like that it's yeah, yeah no it, it was 
quite remarkable. I can imagine people being blown away by it at the time, but yeah, yeah um, it does look pretty janky now. But yeah, I mean, it, it looks to me like the sci-fi effects in, say, TV, but 10 years later, when you mentioned... Yes, Pablo exactly, Fiverr. yeah. Yeah, and it's a bit... Um, it, it looks better, but it's not unlike um, early Red Dwarf special effects when you see the, the actual spaceships. Um, Was it Red Dwarf? Red Dwarf would have been, what, five, ten years later? Oh, well, are you talking, because they, because um, originally it was all practical effects, but then they re-released them on VHS, didn't they, with really shitty looking CGI instead yeah, of yeah. excellent Peter Rag practical effects, you know, the guy who did Captain Scarlet, yeah. and he did all these meticulous spaceships, fantastic space battles, and yeah, then they re-released it with this really yeah. cheap shit, basically, yeah. <laughs> laid over yeah. top of it. But um, some of the, the like, practical uh, makeup effects in this, which I still, I think, look really good, <clears throat> and um, I think if it was made now, I don't think they could have done any better. When um, there's a almost subplot where because he goes into space, they send a sort of droid down to Earth to replace him. And there's some chance, yeah, yeah. Um, some scenes where it's turning into him, which for a PG yeah. kids film it could scare a kid quite a bit. But oh, that you, bit when blanket comes off head, I can imagine if a little kid was watching that. They'd scream i mean yeah. but, but again going back to what made those films of that era so good you you don't get that kind of thing now there's not that element of darkness to it i mean there's a scene in it where like a guy captured tortured and his head's drilled in there isn't it yeah yeah you know, and this is like a pg kids sci-fi adventure but yeah. that little element of darkness i think yeah it elevated a lot of 80s films to that why it's why we still remember them fondly yeah. i mean i can't think of kids films that were specifically really aimed at kids that quite carry the same weight because you can't identify that part of it you know yeah i mean it's quite unoffensive apart from you know little bits what would scare people and i sort of think when i do these podcasts i mean is there anything in it you think they wouldn't do nowadays because i I can think of one thing personally Uh, as i say um those two scenes probably not done in a different way Mm -hmm. maybe um trying to think if there's anything specific plot-wise that might change i mean it's quite I suppose yeah, yeah not, not really not really plot-wise but the, the thing what's why i noticed watching again today is the um <clears throat> sorry sort of comedy little brother character has got a collection of playboys oh yes yes yeah, exactly yeah 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 i don't think they'd have that, that anymore happen. and um, i re- re-watched the monster squad recently and done one of these for it and there's a lot of that sort of humor in that and then when that came out in this country, at least, that was a 15, even though it was meant to be a kid's film. Um, yeah. So there's a bit, little, little bit of light swearing on them. But it's uh, that's the only thing I think, though, I just, just don't think they'd dare do now, even though little kids probably would look at stuff yeah. like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Pornography? What are you talking about? <laughs> but, but to me, that makes it a little bit realer, you know. Um, yeah, in a lot, a lot kid, of kids' films, kid, the kids are all too nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the, the little brother in his is a little shit as well, which... Um... Oh, yeah, he's that kind of little character, yeah. Um, one of those kids that is, yeah, I mean, I was listening to what's it, the George Rockwell Schmidt podcast a little while back, and there's this bit where he says, you know, what one thing you could do to improve episode one of Star Wars is just every time the kid who plays Anakin opens his mouth, the nearest adult just has to slap him. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but, um... Just trying to think of, um, yeah, no, it, 
annoying squeaky kids. I don't know why Hollywood executives thought they needed to be injected into every single film back then, but they, yeah, I mean, yeah, they didn't like, they don't last well. No, I mean, that, that character is a bit cliche, but I always think it's kind of, when a kid's watching a film like this, if they've got a brother or sister, they'll think that brother or sister is the most annoying person in the world. So I think it is put in to make the viewer relate to it a bit more. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think of it like that. Yeah, no, that might be what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you've got this dynamic between them. And um, like, as you mentioned about um, the comedy side of it, you know, when that replacement, what's he called? A meta uh, something? I'm a meta something. Anyway, when he's there, the interactions between him and the little brother are funny as hell. You know, they're some of the best scenes in the film. Yeah. You're yeah. having a terrible nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where, yeah, because the little brother, Basically, sees him with his head off, doesn't he? Yeah, he's um, repairing his ear because yeah. his ears malfunction. So he takes his head off, plonks it on the desk, he's fiddling away yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, which is, is a great scene, and it's one of those. It's not an out-and-out comedy, of course, but it's it's much like like a Spielberg film with there's there's humour in there. And one of my favourite comedy scenes is when um, it's uh, there's sort of a campfire scene with the we'll call it a droid with um, <laughs> uh, Catherine Mary Stewart, and he's basically repeating. What he overhears, some um, another couple saying, and he says things like, "Those other girls, friend, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 um, yeah, the other girls meant nothing and things like that." And it's just you get so <laughs> confused, and that's <laughs> I like that because it's it almost sort of turns it into a bit of a teen comedy, opposed to yeah. yeah One of the things that I picked up in a documentary about it was they were saying that a lot of the double parts, the comedy parts, were added for comic relief. Later, they refilmed actually with Lance Guest wearing a wig because he'd cut his hair for another role. But and normally, when that kind of thing happens, it can adversely affect film. But I actually really enjoyed those scenes. I'm glad they did that because I thought Lance Guest has a really good talent for comedy. Yeah, and those scenes are the ones where they really stand out, you know. So I'm glad they added those. Yeah, so about his talent for comedy, uh, I, I met him at that Comic Con I mentioned, and he was just one of these who you could tell he had a sense of humour. He was laughing away with people. And um, I think he genuinely loved that he was in this film. And uh, the, just the vibe of him was he's so pleased that people still talk about it. And I yeah. could hear him saying to people sort of jokingly, you know, don't mention the sequel because that, that's something that he's been asked for about 40 years. And if you Google that, there's still loads of, oh, it might still happen. I think that would be a big mistake. Um, but... It's uh, when I see something like that, I'm like, it's great that he's sort of come to peace with this, so to speak. But he should have gone on to to be a big star, I think. Um, and I think uh, Catherine Mary Stewart probably went on to be the bigger name out of it, even though she never got massive. Because you said you'd only seen Night of the Comets. She was in Weekend at Bernie's as well, which was a fairly big film. Oh. Um, okay, I, I have seen that, but not for thirty odd years, I think. So. Yeah. Um, do you remember the bit where he gets kicked in the balls? That was funny. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think she's gone on to do a lot of TV and stuff. But um, yeah, the comic side definitely helps it because I think when you're watching a film like this as an adult or if you're watching it with kids, if there's genuine laughs in it, it, it just makes it more enjoyable for everybody. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, a lot of more recent kids' films I can think of that aren't very funny and very forgettable. And then when you look at, say, things like Pixar, they put so many jokes in for the adults. I think that yeah. the reason they get so well-reviewed and stuff. 
And um, there's like, this is not of... sure to see it through when you're in the cinema with your kid. You can actually just laugh along with it and get the jokes that your kids don't get. But yeah, know, that's a reference to a film from 20 years ago that you you didn't watch because you weren't born. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I always remember when I'm, I was quite young. I was too young to have seen Pulp Fiction, but I had. And then um, Space Jam came out about two years later, and they referenced that in that. And it just sort of yes. made, made me think that that's pretty cool because they're referencing this 18 certificate film in a new certificate film. It's obviously thrown in for, or, or just encourages kids to watch, watch Pulp Fiction. So good. Well, I'd like to think so. I think that's the way we should be going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, a few more things I, I picked up on just, just re watching it today. I mean, I thought it was really cool that um, the main sort of vehicle, the, um, what's the name of the character that um, Robert Peterson plays? Um, the sort of Obi Wan type, as you referenced. Oh, Centaur. Yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah. Is he, he actually drives what looks like a DeLorean. And, yeah, it's and this, a weird kind of DeLorean box. It's a cross between DeLorean and a Fiat Panda is what I thought, yeah. it, to be honest. But yeah, because I need... Oh, yeah, that's a very interesting guy. He, he was, as I say, a great character. I went through a whole thing, though, thinking he was a different actor. I, I swore blind the first time I watched it. Oh, that's the guy who played Matlock, isn't it? And I looked up, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not, no. <laughs> he, he was in so, he was many, so many films and... But um, the music man is what he's most well known for, I reckon. Um, but yes, yeah, 76 credits he was in. But um, I just found it interesting that there's a DeLorean like pre Back to the Future, and people would watch this now probably thinking it was ripping Back to the Future off. Yeah, especially as I'm not sure, but it looked like they actually filmed part of it in the same tunnel. Yeah. That famous tunnel in Los Angeles that's used in like every Robert Zemeckis film, you know, a little yeah. two lane short one just on the outskirts of California. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it does. Yeah, I can imagine people would think that. Yeah, but that was, as you say, a year before Back to the Future came out. Yeah, so we'll say Back to the Future ripped this off. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But also, also, I, I thought it was a there was a bit of Terminator going on with the the other um, alien sent back, so sent down to Earth to to get to get him. Yeah, actually, a, a pre-terminated two T one thousand. Essentially, it was a shapeshifter, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So that was, that was, um, so that, that probably just ripped off the outer limits, like um, James Cameron did. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's it. The episode, yeah. of cat. But it, but it did remind me of that, and a bit. If you remember the, the sort of, um, was it Tracers as well? That was films around the same time. Oh, Tracers, you know, that's one I've got on Blu-ray, but I haven't got round to watching yet. Oh, worth a watch. Worth. It's very. Um, low budget i think it was one of helen hunt's first films yeah um, it was yeah yeah, yeah. I, I saw she's in it yeah yeah that's, that's really famous. enjoyable low budget and with this i mean we said about the special effects i mean it only had a 15 million budget which then i know is a lot more than that but that's not massive is it it's no it's, it's by no means a big budget for the time yeah. and yet as you say the makeup effects you know yeah they're perhaps a little more stilted than say star wars but they look damn good I'm yeah. Dan O'Hearley, I wouldn't have rec- if I hadn't seen his name in credits, I wouldn't have known it was him. The yeah. voice is obviously very familiar, but because I've never seen him play a jovial character before, so in fact he's just made up to look like this giant turd. Yeah. It's just <laughs> he's kind of, it, it's amazing, and all the little ancillary characters they all look funny. I'm not sure what's going on with everybody having the same sort of weird scientist hairdo and big yeah. hair, but yeah, that, that said, was bizarre. You said that you wouldn't recognise him, I and mean, I didn't realise till probably a few years ago. Because he, he's the, the main villain, well, kind of main villain, the old man, so, yeah, Robocop, isn't he? Yeah, oh, shooting son, what's your name? Yeah, yeah that's him, yeah, and um, and yeah, Halloween, Halloween 3. 3 as well, 
Um, and he, he's, he, he's so likeable in this, where I've only ever seen him as villains. He's never, yeah, I've never seen him play. A, he, he sometimes plays jovial characters with a sinister undercurrent, like in Halloween 3, Twin Peaks, and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, normally he's just an out and out villain, isn't he? And yeah. it is, I think his son passed away last year as well, didn't he? Gavin O'Hurley. Oh, okay. You know, the guy who played, um, what's his name in Superman 3, the pisshead. Oh, I forget his name now. The Superman. You know the um, small town hit guy from Smallville. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Security guard. Yeah, that, that's his son, Gavin oh, O'Hara. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's one of those actors who pops up on British television a lot when you need a vaguely American-sounding accent. But <laughs> he passed away last year. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Superman three, but I actually really like because mainly I like Richard Pryor. But, of course. Um, yeah. But an um, but interesting little story about as well that when Robert Patterson met met him on set, he was in full makeup. He'd never met him before, and he just said, "I knew that as you. You've got that familiar face." And um, I think that annoyed him a little bit. But um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows if that story is true or not? Um, but that it was Robert Patterson's last film as well. I don't want to say Patterson. I mean Preston, don't I? I'm going to see. Oh, Batman. I was going to say yeah. I was Patterson. I was. Hang on. Was it? <laughs> Batman. So every time I've said Robert Patterson, I meant Robert Preston. But I think I've only said it wrong twice. You've only, you only said it once before, but I've, yeah, I, I think I got what you meant. <laughs> as long as our listener gets it. But we, you know, we, this is one of these. We do it as a conversation. There's no edits, so uh, any no, mistakes. No, free flow. Stay, stay in. Um, I did um, a podcast on a film called The Mighty Peking Man recently, and several times I called it The Mighty Peking King. Just, to me, that's got a ring to it. Um, but yeah, so every time I said Robert Preston, that's um, who I meant, not Robert Patterson. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, people so, want to swipe that reverse into whoever it is. Yeah. People will know what we mean. Um, yeah. Yeah, the whole cast in, in general are really good, but it's only sort of the, the, the sort of main four or five for, you know, there's, there's not like. Say in Star Wars, you've got your hand solos and, and that sort of thing. It's basically hero, hero's girlfriend, two aliens. Then the rest all sort of blend into one. Pretty much, yeah. You've got your archetypal bad guy with a British accent. Yeah. yeah. Then your warrior bad guys. And yeah, that's about it, isn't it? And I, I like the fact that the bad guy was sort of just basically motivated by daddy issues. That made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like look at this really over the top bad guy who's just got daddy issues, and it's still better than Alien Covenant, which had the same thing. But oh yes, yeah, yeah. Don't mention that ever again. That was a, that, no, that, no, that film doesn't exist in, in my head. That film is not canon. No, it should have been good though. It should have been. I, mean, I was expecting. It to, I thought, okay, so hmm, they didn't wrap up Prometheus the way they were supposed to. They got somebody in to rewrite the end, so they could maybe make a sequel. This one's got actually have the alien in it, so maybe they'll do it right this time. And it's like. Oh, the Lovecraftian lore of the previous films. Nope. The alien was invented by a maladjusted robot with paternity, paternal issues and a vague understanding of philosophy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only alien film I've ever seen once. Which is, uh... Oh, literally, I bought it on Blu-ray and I, I own all the alien films. Not the alien versus Predator one, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I, I bought it on Blu-ray and took it to Computer Exchange the next day. <laughs> I, I saw it in the cinema um, and then still bought it on Blu-ray but I haven't watched it because I'm a nerd and have to have all the Alien films so, uh, <laughs> apart from Alien vs Predator which I've, I've got um, on um, CEX secondhand DVDs for about a quid oh, that, that's alright so I sort of yeah. watched them again like they couldn't be that bad and the second one was even worse when I watched oh, it again 
It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, they turn the alien into Michael Myers. It's a weird fucking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we sort of cover the special effects. The the um, just in general. I mean, you sort of agree the plot kind of it works. It's not that original, but then it is. If that makes sense, it go. It's it's almost like a new take on the old cliches. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, I mean, it had its similarities to other films at the time. It follows a sort of what I can't remember if there's a specific writer who named it, but that sort of, as I say, the protocol of what a hero's journey should be. I sometimes disagree when some critics get a bit sniffy. Oh, you didn't follow the hero's journey. Well, you can do your own journey. You don't have to do it exactly as that. But it did that and it did it really well, in my opinion. And it did it in the context of a kid playing video games who's recruited into this enormous battle that matters and will someday affect earth and i just like i can imagine if i had seen it as a kid i probably would have loved it because i i'd have sat there with my commodore 64 i was you know i spent far too much time playing video games as a kid just started watching movies i, I think i'd have loved it and i think that's a nice i wouldn't say aspirational but it's kind of a reassuring thing to for a kid to see yeah that the things they're interested in aren't just a joke i'm not about a scene where the old guys were all crowding around the arcade cabinet. <laughs> that, that perhaps um, was the biggest stretch of the imagination, not the aliens or the space wars, but the fact that anyone over the age of 30 in the 1980s gave a shit about video games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, so do you think, is there a reason why you never watched this growing up or did it just literally pass you by? Was, was there no reason, nothing put you off it or anything? No, not at all. No, it just, I mean, obviously 84, I'd have been five, so I wouldn't have been renting films myself um i suspect it was probably one of those saturday afternoon films if it was on tv a lot so yeah. i don't know but i it, it must have just passed me by i just don't think as i say I, I'm, I'm familiar with the case i didn't really recognize it as anything to do with me i'm trying to think what the original case looked like it was him looking up at the sky with the ship behind him wasn't it that's it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah I, it just I just looked at it, oh, it's a sort of sci-fi thing, probably a bit Buck Rogers-y, that kind of stuff. And every if I'd known about video games, I'd have been on that shit like a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I think um it has kind of been just sort of put with the Star Wars rip-offs. I think that that's one thing that yes. a lot of sci-fi films well, yeah, there was there were so many Star Wars rip-offs. Oh, well, but, Battlestar Galactica was actually obviously just a sort of shameless attempt to make a star wars series without buying the star wars license and yeah and then it, there was um that was it star crash have you seen that one with david hasselhoff no, roger corman one is it yeah yeah i think so yeah yeah i haven't seen it i think i've seen a retrospective about it though but yeah, yeah there's so many and i think sometimes the the, the good ones get overshadowed um, beyond the stars and all those ones yeah yeah um so yeah, and also it's sort of towards the tail end of that because the last Star Wars film then was 1982, wasn't it? In um, with Return of the Jedi, and this came two years after. So then, saying that, I mean, Mel Brooks spoofed Star Wars in 86, didn't he? So many years later, yes, yeah, it was, was great. But um, so well, I think actually, you mentioned it. That's one th film I loved as a kid, but I think I rewatched about five years ago, and it just didn't didn't hit my funny bone the same way it did no. when I was a kid. A lot of Mel Brooks' stuff does stand. I still, Blazing Saddles is still one of my favourite films ever. I think it's a great comedy. But Spaceballs, I just, I don't think I laughed once when I rewatched it. That's really sad. But, I think well, I, yeah. I rewatched it. I've rewatched it twice recently. Well, say recently, in the last ten years. Once I was pretty much the same, but I, 
put it down to I knew what jokes were coming. Um, but then I watched it at a rock festival. Um, on there was a, like after all the bands, they put it on the big screen, and everyone roared with laughter, and I was laughing with them. But I think it was the same, it was the same thing. It was like like you knew the joke, so you was like going along with it. Also, I think I watched it sober, which I think if I watch it now as an adult, I need to do it with a few <laughs> yeah. bellies and a couple of shots of bourbon in my stomach. Yeah. yeah. I like I think, the way you Because I mean, I, I watch the cheesiest films when I'm drunk. I'll stick any old crap on. <laughs> I just like the way that I'm at Rock Festival, you assume I was very drunk, uh, which I was. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah. I watched Mouse of the Hands of Fate the other night. That's how drunk I was. <laughs> <laughs> I never remember films when I'm drunk. So, um, and to sort of wrap things up, uh, I'm guessing from what you've said, you'd, you'd recommend it to people. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a good, solid, fun sci-fi adventure film. I think your kids might like it. They might find it a bit cheesy, but it's just it's just an enjoyable film and it's got a lot of heart. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I think as well with the video games thing, maybe youngsters would be interested in it a bit more because the video games are a bit much bigger thing now than they are, were then, because it was sort of just taken yeah, off. Because um, 84, that would have been like the arse end of the Atari sort of come down, wouldn't it? So they yeah. were at that weird trough before the 8-bit computers started up, but after the Atari had kind of died a death. So yeah. it might have just been a matter of timing. That's it true, yeah. Two years earlier, two years later, maybe it would have taken off a bit more. I think it kind of like just before sort of Mario, you know, so it was just yes. before the, the NES and stuff. Um, but arcades were a big thing then, um, so that that's what it was well, getting at. But now I think a lot of people might be interested in just because like retro is a big thing now, you know. Um, like things like, I've been going to like this geek retreat, and there's things like that where people can sit and play old games. Um, who knows? I mean, if, if it, if, I think that's why there's talk of there could still be some sort of sequel happen. Um, yeah, I mean, the 80s nostalgia wave, I don't think is quite over yet. It's starting to transition into 90s nostalgia, but yeah. it's still there. People still love it. You know, I think we've got things like Stranger Things and a lot of stuff that followed that to really thankful. <laughs> and yeah. it's not a bad thing. You know, it's nice. You know, some of it's a bit rose tinted. As a kid who grew up in the 80s, I can say it wasn't quite as wacky as some of the new stuff yeah. seems to suggest. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Every I would see that a lot of people think the 80s was just like you go into a coffee shop and it'd be like Saved by the Bell. You know? Yes. Um, and it really it was. Wasn't. Like somebody said on Twitter, didn't they? They said, oh, these guys failed to capture how brown everything was back then. Yeah. Very true. And, and just really quickly, um, uh, rating out of five for this. Oh, give it a four out of five. That's, Solid four out of five. That's about, that's about what I... Well, I, I did, I've done a letterbox rating of it and I gave it four and a half. But as a kid, I'd have probably given it a five or, or six because I was like that. <laughs> um, but it's got on um, letterbox itself out of five, it's actually got 3.2, which is probably higher okay. than what it would get. Um, and at IMDb, it's got 6.7. So that's out of 10. Um, and yeah. 76 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is good for, for Rotten Tomatoes. Make, talk about all middling around the above average to good area isn't it so yeah so, um, that's, uh, that's kind of cool it's kind of it's just one of those that the fact that you'd not seen it or knew much about it sort of that's my point about this film i think it's one of those that when people watch it they do actually really like it but it's gone under yeah. the radar and who knows maybe yeah. if, 
if my next door neighbour hadn't got that um, video cassette of it, I, it might go under the radar for me as well. Yeah, so. and it was one of your favourite films when you were a kid, and you'd have missed out on all that. So yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's probably a. It must seem such a strange concept now. You know, we've got streaming, we've got online downloads, all that business that you are so reliant on this shitty bit of plastic being released yeah. <laughs> in order to be able to actually experience a film it seems so archaic now yeah i think it was matt murray on one of his cornbone flicks videos was saying about the empire strikes back he's saying you know because for stranger things um blu-ray set came out with a mock vhs case didn't it and he yeah. said if it was actually one you'd hate it this is my copy of the empire strikes back it cost me 80 dollars. it didn't come out until years after the film came out of the cinema and it's really bad quality this us, man it's like it was just luck that you happened to have one next door yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just we better wrap things up but one thing i will mention yeah. which i should have said if you have you seen talk about the 80s um nostalgia have you seen the british horror um Sensor, what came out last year? Sensor, no, I don't think I have. It's about someone who works for the classification board, it's a horror set around that. Um, oh, that could be interesting, yeah, yeah, around the video nasties era. And you've just reminded me, it's very brown. I think they've got very the 80s feel right. It's, it's, it's British and brown authenticity, it matters, yeah. There's not like an axe wielding Mary Whitehouse or some shit like that. <laughs> You're not too far off it. <laughs> um, I recommend that. Um, right, I think we should, should wrap it up. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, thank, thanks a lot for, do, for doing the podcast. And hopefully um, we'll get you back for another one if you're up for it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, message me and we'll sort of film out and yeah. this is the, a watch. Go for this it. This is the first one we've done post-lockdown on Zoom. Is um, And I, I feel a bit uncomfortable on Zoom. I feel like I'm in a business meeting or something. But I think it went around. <laughs> but for me getting the act my second on. Zoom meeting today, so I've adapted to it now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I can't really do Zoom for my work because I run a pub. Virtual dream. Excellent. So uh, thanks a lot. And um, no, thanks for inviting me, man. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. I'm really pleased he enjoyed that. I enjoyed the conversation. Great to to catch up over over film. We had a little bit of a conversation afterwards, but not much. Um, but we will get him back soon, as you just heard. And um, more films coming up in future episodes of this podcast. We're about halfway through the second season. That's gone really quickly. Um, I'm not too sure what we'll be doing next. Two films I am looking into doing are uh, 1990's Dick Tracy, the Warren Beatty movie uh, that featured Madonna. Um, kind of forgotten, really good cast that one had. And I think with the new The Batman film coming out, maybe that's possibly a good time to do that. And hopefully I'll be doing Pump Up the Volume as well, the Christian Slater teen drama. And I've got a um, DJ... Uh, who's interested in doing that film with me who hasn't seen it and of course that film's about a DJ and thanks for listening follow us on all the socials the Instagram the Facebook you know all that sort of thing please get in contact if you want to um, discuss any of the films we've chatted about or any suggestions or just want to talk film in general um, the weirder the better but I don't know that wasn't that much of an uncommercial film I, I think so anyway thank you very much uh, I've been Andy and I'll be back with another episode hopefully fairly soon <laughs>